This is Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, where we talk to industrial and systems engineers about their work, ideas, and solutions. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Problem Solved, the IISE podcast. I'm David Brandt, Web Managing Editor for the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers and a producer on Problem Solved. And today we're talking about career transitions from college to professional. Today, we're joined by Carl Kerpis, Crude Oil Strategy and Analysis with Marathon Petroleum Corporation and IISE Senior VP of Industry. Carl, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, David. I appreciate getting to meet with you at the annual conference and other events. You've been in the office every now and again. And I've always been really impressed with your drive, your enthusiasm, uh, and having looked a little bit closer at your resume, it's quite astonishing, really. And I thought when it came to this topic of trying to get your career jumpstarted, it seems like you've really overachieved. And and I mean that in all the ways we talk about achievement and overachievement. You were a college athlete. You had a stellar high school career before that. You've earned multiple degrees. You've worked in a lot of different industries already. And if I'm not mistaken, you're not even 30 yet. Is that correct? That's correct, David. And, you know, I want to just say thank you to to you and all the staff there at IISC as well. You all do a lot of great work to uh, keep promoting and enhancing the profession of industrial and systems engineering. It's been a very important part of my career and uh, being a part of IISC uh, has been a really neat opportunity for me and, and others as well. So thank you to all of you for that. Well, we certainly appreciate that. And we certainly hope that other members are getting out of IISE what you've been getting out of it all these years, certainly in regards to getting your career started. But now you're a few years in. Let's backtrack a little bit, though. First, let's talk about what inspired you to get into industrial engineering. What was your introduction to the profession? Yeah, for me, I first learned about industrial and systems engineering actually when I was uh, enrolling for classes for my first semester at Iowa State University. And I knew I wanted to do engineering. And as I talked to the different advisors of the different departments, I really saw industrial and systems engineering as the connection of people, process, and technology, and really tying the engineering side and the business side together. And so I decided to get uh, dual degrees, actually. I got a degree in mechanical engineering because I felt like that would teach me about the individual pieces of a system. And then a degree in uh, industrial and systems engineering because I felt like that would help me see how all the different pieces connect together. And that's been... uh, a really good fit for me over the year and really my first introduction to industrial and systems engineering. Having looked at your resume a little bit more, you've racked up mileage pretty quickly in the last decade. Uh, And I mean that in in an aggressive fashion, several degrees, early upper management experience, experience in multiple industries. I'd like for you to elaborate on that for our audience a little bit, just with an overview to start and really get into this question afterward. Did you start your career with a plan? Are you following a map of your own design or are you just trying to gain a wide range of experiences? You know, David, I'd say that uh, it's been a little bit of both between, you know, having a plan and uh, gaining different experiences. So early on in my career, um, I had a a mentor who recommended to me that when you're kind of looking at career planning, you want to be directionally correct. But the most important part is just to take that right next step. And so think about that next opportunity uh, that's in front of you and make sure that's the right next step relative to the overall direction that you're uh, looking to go. So 
you know, we talked about uh, in the last question, the industrial engineering and what my introduction to that was, you know, that's when in college was when I was first able to articulate industrial and systems engineering, uh, but I actually grew up in a family business. My dad's been a consultant now for over 30 years. And uh, the name of his company is TPG Companies. It stands for Transform, Perform, and Grow. And so as I learned more about industrial and systems engineering, I really saw how a lot of the concepts I was learning applied to a lot of the businesses and clients that he was able to help. And it was really neat for me to be able to make that connection. And from there, I went out and uh, worked for uh, Dave Sly at uh, Pro Planner. You mentioned that I'd played football at Iowa State University, and uh, Dave's company was there in Ames. So I was able to work there over the summer and go to football practice. And it was really my first introduction to industrial and systems engineering outside of an academic setting. And so that really gave me a lot of exposure to ISE and the impact that it could have on industry as a whole. From there, I ended up going to uh, Genesis, and that was my first full-time job out of college. And, you know, when we talk about being intentional in your career path um, versus gaining a wide range of experiences, I had multiple offers coming out of college. I'd uh, interviewed with a number of different organizations. And the reason I chose Genesis was because uh, they're a company that design, builds, and installs production and assembly lines for a lot of large manufacturers, but they didn't have a specific product line. So everything they were doing was custom uh, in nature. And I really liked the opportunity to be able to not do the same thing over and over again, but to be able to enhance all these different businesses across the manufacturing industry. What I'm hearing already is that you definitely took advantage of opportunities that came before you. You talked about you know companies that were you know local and having just going ahead after those opportunities, going ahead and getting that experience. Um, Definitely having, it sounds like a lot of inspiration from your dad. Uh, I sense a little bit of like father, like son and a a lot of uh, the career path you've talked about so far. Yeah, that's true. I'd say uh, my early upbringing had a big influence on that. And then a lot of my early mentors that I had there with Dave Sly at Pro Planner and Matt Perry, who was the president of Genesis, was a big mentor to me as well. And uh, being able to learn and apply those industrial and systems engineering skills that I'd learned in uh, my undergraduate degree to those organizations really gave me uh, kind of a leg up in those companies. And I was able to uh, actually at Genesis progress through my career pretty quickly there um, and rose to the position of vice president of operations within a year of being at the company. And I attribute that a lot to the industrial and systems engineering skill sets that I had, the volunteer leadership opportunities I was able to gain through IISE, as well as, like you mentioned before, just an opportunity that happened to present itself. Uh, The former vice president of operations had some family-related things that uh, took him away from the office for about six months. And so just tried to support him as best as I could over the course of that time frame. Um, and at the end of that, he actually decided to retire. And uh, by then, the president, CFO, CEO felt like I was the best fit for the position. So I had the opportunity to do that over the course of about the next six years. Again, stepping back a little bit, you had quite an athletic career. You played... I think the whole range almost of sports. You had uh, basketball, baseball, I believe. Most notably, you were a linebacker for the Iowa State Cyclones. 
Do you feel a sense of competition in your academic or professional development? Is it a feeling that's between others or in the traditional athletic mindset between you and yourself? You know, I'd say it's really between uh, me and myself is where I found um, the most growth opportunity. Um, uh, another colleague of mine, John McGraw, he was a former Kansas City Chiefs football player and a captain there. Um, and John has a company now called Vision Pursue, and they talk about performance mindset. And he has a concept that he calls expanding A. That's really bringing all of your attention and effort to the present moment and using that to grow your capabilities in that present moment. And I try to practice that uh, whenever possible. But I will say that, you know, competition with others, what I'm able to gain from that is being able to see the way that they do something different than what the way I do it. And in that way, be able to improve myself to become uh, a better me. And being a part of IISE, I've seen that a lot as well, where when I'm at the annual conferences or on webinars, I'm able to see the way that someone else has done something that I might have not thought of, be able to take that and apply it back to uh, improving myself, my career in the organizations that, that I'm a part of. So that's been a really neat part about uh, the network that IISE creates. I've seen you at a number of conferences, as I mentioned before. I don't imagine your name is unknown among many of our longtime members. You're a part of a digital generation in millennials that has been seemingly exposed most often to the idea of self-branding for whatever purpose. To that point, I've heard you say purpose with a purpose more than once. So uh, is there an element of self-branding in how you make a career for yourself? Is that something you would suggest to college grads who are just now entering the professional world? You know, David, I'll tell you a story on that one. So uh, back when I played football at Iowa State, I actually walked on to the football team uh, to play for Coach Paul Rhodes. And I had been with the team for about two weeks after walking on. And I got the impression that uh, the coach didn't know how to say my last name that well. He wasn't really sure how to pronounce it. And because of that, I felt like I was getting rest, less reps. He wasn't calling on me as often. And so I thought to myself, you know what? I got to do something about this. So after one of the days, we were watching film and I went up and talked to my linebacker coach, Wally Burnham. And I just uh, came up with kind of that self-branding like you talked about of purpose with a purpose. And uh, from then, he was able to uh, remember my last name. I saw myself getting more repetitions. And um, that's when I saw the value of really creating a lot of that self-branding. You know, So to your point about recent college grads entering the profession and um, whether I'd recommend uh, really that self-branding for them. I would say that either way, whether you're doing it intentionally or not, you are building a brand for yourself. And so I'd recommend to, to be intentional. And back to that comment before on the, the right next step and directionally correct, just kind of have an idea of what you want your brand to be and uh, continue to, to build towards that. Now, when you were first you know, transitioning from college to a professional, how did the self-branding play out in, in your career? Well, you know, it's interesting. I got into journalism, specifically newspapers, just before our current digital age began, right before 
Facebook, right before, you know, all social media, uh, before the popularity of videos as web content. There wasn't a whole lot out there on the internet other than digital search. You know, Google obviously leading the charge in that, in that regard. Yeah. A lot of it was reputation. I mean, again, it's the same thing that applies now, I think, where it's, uh, you know, how well you network, what people have to say about you and your abilities, uh, how good you are to your job, how committed you are to your job. And a lot of that, again, being brought up in such a way by parents from a baby boomer generation that would always tell you, you know, if you work hard, you're going to be rewarded. I don't know if that's as common now in terms of mentality for a lot of people who are younger, but it was very much important to me that I, I show up, I do the job well, I made sure that I fact-checked and that I wrote stories well. When I worked on the copy desk, I wanted to make sure that, you know, our headlines popped and, you know, images looked really good um, on the, you know, on the front page, especially. I remember, too, the first front page of a newspaper I ever designed was the George W. Bush re-election victory. And that's a, you know, it's a, the kind of paper on the kind of day that people maybe like to keep those and commemorate those. So it was really important to me that this thing looked like it was going to belong in the museum, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, you put a lot of pressure on yourself sometimes when you're uh, really young and entering into a profession like journalism, where, you know, the time constraints are, uh, you know, very challenging. But, you you ultimately, you know, that kind of pressure under a deadline, get motivated and it certainly helps you achieve more than you think you can. So I ended up delivering a page, a front page that I thought was, you know, pretty excellent. And uh, it led me to being able to do that more often. And that's a, you know, much more important responsibility than I think a lot of people outside of that industry realize. Um, but again, I think it's, you know, the idea of putting together good work, um, which now I, you know, we think of as just our portfolio, but continuously being able to do that and finding opportunities to do something innovative. I think in the early phase of my career, that was how we started building our own brand. But we didn't think of it in the same context. I don't even think we referred to it as branding. We just thought of it as reputation. But I think that's been a result of the digital age we're in now uh, with all the social media outlets and other ways in which you can... Uh, Share yourself with the world, let's say. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. You were really building that strong reputation earlier in your career. And I agree now with kind of the digital age and a lot of the uh, media outlets, it lets you build that reputation beyond, you know, just your uh, immediate circle of influence and extend that, you know, out to a wider brand that kind of lets the, the world know what you stand for, you know, what you're about, what your passions and what your skills are. And so it is really neat to be uh, a part of this age. And you know, for me, industrial and systems engineering has always been a, a big passion uh, of mine. And so it's neat to be able to uh, continue to build on that and connect with other people who have that have that same passion. Well, and a lot of it, too, I think, comes down to personal value of dependability. You want to be the person other people can count on. And I think that whatever profession you're going into, um, that's an important role. And that you know, it, it can boost the ego a little bit. Uh, it can sometimes boost the ego a lot, <laughs> but at the very least, you know, that your career has a little bit more footing, has a little bit more security, even in the long run, 
if you can prove yourself to be that person, if you can prove yourself to be the one that people can count on. I think that really goes a long way more than anything else. Even if you sometimes deliver work that maybe is subpar, obviously you don't want to do that too frequently, (laughs) but every now and again, it, it gives you room to make mistakes just like anyone else. But at the very least, knowing that you're the type of person that does practice continuous improvement and does want to, you know, raise the bar of their own work ethic and push themselves to achieve even further success. I think that that builds that brand, that builds that dependability that others are looking to. Yeah, I agree. And to, to your point on on building that brand and it creating opportunities for you, you know, I had a another uh, mentor that that had told me, you know, always evaluate what your next best option is. And when you have a really strong next best option, because you have a really strong brand and you have other uh, companies that, you know, want to hire you or individuals in your network that would uh, be willing to support you and work with you, uh, really allows you to be confident in what you're doing in the current role and maybe even take some risks that uh, you wouldn't have taken otherwise and get the the payoff, the benefit of being able to uh, bring those risks uh, to fruition, to success, um, because you know you have a strong brand and that and a strong next best option that lets you to continue to, to, to build on that. And in that way, success starts to build on success. Um, and that brand continues to grow. And on that note, let's talk a little bit about changing industry because you've jumped around different ones. Obviously, you've had some stability. You've, you know, you've stayed. It wasn't like you just came in for six months and left. You've worked in information technology, manufacturing, oil and gas. How did you learn more about each industry as you entered it? I don't imagine that the transition is maybe obvious, but maybe in regards to being an industrial engineer, and this may underscore the whole point, you don't have to necessarily know everything about the industry you're going into, but certainly know about your role and uh, what that role is going to be demanding of you, regardless of what industry you're coming from. Did you ever feel handicapped in your knowledge, even after preparation? What did you do to overcome any obstacles when it came to transitioning from one industry to another? You know, to answer the question, and since we're talking about transitioning from student to professional, I'll actually tie this back into some leadership opportunities that I had through student organizations as a part of my career. And um, when I was in these student organizations, I implemented a practice of what I called reflective leadership. And so I would be in a situation uh, with another individual in that student organization on my team. I would lead to the best of my ability. But afterwards, I would reflect on that opportunity and think about in industrial and systems engineering mindset, how could I mentally optimize that? How could that have been a better leadership experience? And over time, then when I was in a similar situation, again, I would have already mentally optimized that prior leadership experience. And what I learned through multiple iterations of practicing reflective leadership is that individuals really provide the potential and teamwork is what creates the results. And so I took that and applied it to my career. And whenever I felt, you know, handicapped or uh, like I was going to have a challenge overcoming an obstacle, um, first I'd start by asking a lot of questions and figuring out, you know, who are the individuals who have the expertise to solve this? And then I really 
leaned hard on the fact that teamwork is really what's going to create the results. And I would work uh, with the team to be able to overcome that obstacle. And so from those lessons that I had learned um, as a student in college and in student organizations really transitioned well to my career and helped me be able to really expedite the learning curve as I train, changed industry to industry uh, and be able to quickly adapt and add value in, in new organizations. quickly do you find mentors? Transferring industries is one thing, but maybe finding yourself having to adapt to new responsibilities can be, you know, still very challenging. What do you look for in a mentor in a new environment? You know, David, when I've transitioned, I I, so I met with uh, Greg Goff, who's the CEO of uh, Endeavor, which is an organization that I joined after Genesis. And now he's the executive vice chairman of Marathon Petroleum Corporation because Endeavor was uh, acquired by Marathon. And when I was talking with Greg, he gave me some really good advice that really in terms of mentorship, if you can learn just one thing from every person that you meet, you will have a vast amount of uh, knowledge and expertise that you're able to apply in a number of different situations. So I've tried to look at mentors two ways. Uh, one is just what can I learn from each person that I meet? And then two, um, I've created more of what I would call a like a personal board of directors, individuals who have been um, consistent mentors or people that I can turn to over the course of my career, regardless of what industry or job that I'm in, um, who I rely on for more uh, general advice. And so the combination of those two, you know, joining a new role and being able to learn something from every uh, person that I meet within that new organization, and then having that uh, longer term, stable personal board of directors has been really helpful for me um, when I think about what I've learned from mentors and others as I've transitioned from a student to a professional and then from one career to, you know, to a career in another industry. A little bit like you early in your career moving to a VP position. I had been the assistant news editor of the newspaper I first worked at, and I moved to that position when I was about 25. I was maybe a year and a half, two years out of school. And I was working with a lot of veteran reporters. And so it was very challenging for me to recommend ideas or give advice. I didn't feel I could because I didn't feel like I had earned that type of responsibility or earned the position in that light. Have you had any experience where, say, someone who's been in the industry longer than you has come to you looking for not necessarily full mentorship, but certainly come to you looking for advice on a project or, or any kind of goal. Yeah, I have. So like uh, mentioned, when I moved into the vice president of operations role within um, a year at Genesis, I had seven department managers that uh, were reporting to me and about 80 employees uh, throughout the organization that uh, worked for those seven department managers. And a number of the individuals had been in the roles for uh, 15 to, to 20 years. So I had a vast amount of expertise um, above and beyond what I had in that specific industry. And uh, really what I tried to apply uh, when individuals would have turned to me for advice or guidance was the Socratic method. And what I found was 
by asking questions to those individuals um, to kind of help them think through the problem, most of the time they had the solution within themselves. And I was just acting as really a catalyst or a facilitator to help uh, lead them towards that. And so that's something that I've continued to uh, try to practice. And I found as a way um, without the expertise to be able to still help uh, lead and guide people um, who have a much deeper depth of uh, knowledge and experience in a given area than, than I might at any given time. So is there a little bit of sort of bouncing ideas off one another? It's not so much, you know, mentor, mentee. It's really more having a sounding board. Does that help both you and uh, older professionals you work with? Yeah, th- through doing that, you know, through asking um, questions, I would learn a lot about about the problem that they were trying to solve. And I and they at the same time too, um, if I would ask a question from a different perspective or uh, a different viewpoint, they would gain kind of a new window through which they were able to look at the problem and be able to gain some additional insight as well. And so I think it was really beneficial for, for all those involved to be able to uh, learn and grow together um, kind of via that uh, Socratic method approach. You've accumulated plenty of industry experience so far, obviously, and you've got listed on your LinkedIn profile that you're earning a PhD uh, scheduled for 2021. Is academia in your future? Uh, do you envision yourself now as the uh, wise professor <laughs> in industrial and systems engineering? If not, uh, what exactly is your vision for a path forward? You know, one of the things I love about IISE is that it's the intersection of industry, academia, and students all within the industrial and systems engineering profession. And so in terms of my vision for my career path, ultimately, I'd like to uh, lead an organization uh, within industry. And then kind of as the capstone of my career, I'd like to go back and teach and be able to really pay it forward and pass on a lot of the uh, wisdom that I've, that I've learned and that of others have shared with me and be able to um, continue sharing that uh, with, with the future generations. And so I am pursuing my PhD right now. I really like the idea of a within a PhD, being able to create new knowledge that's never been created before. And it helps me uh, directionally correct move towards being able to uh, teach kind of the capstone of my career. But I'd say that's a a number of years down the road and not not any time in the near term. Are you looking to teach at Iowa State or would you prefer to be, you know, maybe somewhere more coastal or is there a preference on where you'd like to teach? You know, I'm I'm open to that right now since it's um, pretty far in the future, I would say. I haven't uh, really nailed down a specific location, something that I've seen uh, throughout my career and moving uh, different industries and different companies is that um, being flexible on location and uh, being able to go where the opportunities present themselves has opened up doors for me that uh, might have not opened otherwise. And so I think I'd take the the same mindset in regards to uh, teaching towards the end of my career. Obviously, you're with Marathon right now. Is there a particular industry that you still have on your horizon, an area that you'd still like to work in? You know, I'm really enjoying uh, the uh, energy industry right now and gaining a lot of uh, knowledge and experience through that. In my current role, I'm looking at projects that are six months to five years on the horizon and helping the company make the decisions today that set us up for success on that time horizon. If I were to name another industry that I might be interested in going into, it would, it would probably be consulting. 
And uh, it's just due to the fact, like I mentioned, when I took my first job at Genesis, I really like the ability to help a number of different companies across a number of different industries. And uh, that would likely be the, the path that I would pursue uh, if I were to you know, pursue another industry outside of energy. How many conferences have you attended with IISE at this point? I could probably say I've seen you at, at least three. And I had a small gap where I wasn't with the Institute. But between, I'd say, I want to say maybe 2012 to now, yep. somewhere in there, you've had to have had a few. How many have you attended? Yep. I think I'm, uh, I know I'm over five and I'd say it's uh, def- getting close to six or seven now. So uh, the first IISE conference that I attended was the one in Puerto Rico. And when I went there and I sat in the industry advisory board town hall uh, and they were talking about industrial and systems engineering and applications in industry, I got this feeling like, this is my home. You know, this is where I belong. And uh, so I've been going back ever since then, been involved uh, with the IAB since then, and then with the the Institute at a larger uh, level now through the Board of Trustees. For me, IISE has been a great way to be able to practice my leadership uh, abilities and grow those and then take those back and uh, apply them in the organizations that I'm in. And so for individuals, you know, listening to this, I would definitely recommend uh, getting involved in IISE and, and seeking out those leadership opportunities. And if they're you know, looking for a place to start, I'm even willing to help connect them with some of the opportunities that are in the organization. Just encourage people to continue to get involved and seek out those leadership opportunities to help them to continue to, to grow themselves in their career. In the transition from college to professional, whether it be in that first initial year or two, or even in the full spectrum as you have it now, what has been your biggest obstacle or obstacles? Looking back, there's always so much that we learn and we grow and we develop. And it, I would have loved to have some of the knowledge and skill sets that I have today and be able to uh, have them and apply them you know, back previously. So I could think of some specific examples such as you know, being in a, a leadership position and um, having to you know, let go of an employee that was a really uh, difficult circumstance and something that you know I would have loved to have more of the knowledge that I have now um, back then. Not more so because it would have changed the result, but it would have just changed the way that I you know perceived uh, myself and my ability to uh, be able to do that in the way that I, that I felt about it for the overall organization. Uh, there's also been you know peaks and valleys in the industries that I've uh, been a part of. What I've seen um, is the ability to be able to use the valleys to really sharpen skill sets and tools you know, in the systems of industrial systems engineering mindset, be able to improve ourselves so that we're able to take advantage of those peaks. And I'd say in my first valley, I hadn't uh, honed that uh, knowledge or skill set yet. And that's something now that I've uh, really tried to take the most advantage of when, whenever it occurs. And it, in that way, I'm able to kind of turn an obstacle or a challenge into an opportunity. Going back to the case of having to dismiss an employee, I've had to do that myself. Not at IISE, but <laughs> when I was working in newspapers. Yeah. It, when you're young and you're making those kinds of decisions, for me, it was a matter of definitely having to combat ego, thinking that I was in you know a position of some level of authority. It wasn't really, in hindsight, a very healthy 
element to have in it, even if it was at the time seemingly unavoidable. You know, I just thought that maybe the fact that we had to dismiss an employee was a reflection on how I was performing. And that was, you know, I perceived it as, you know, this is a bad thing having to dismiss this reporter, even if the reporter wasn't doing their job well, which was very much the case in this circumstance. How did you perceive it to yourself? How did you look at yourself having gone through the decision making process on something like that, where you're really affecting someone's life in terms of, you know, how they're making a living at that point? What was it for you that you reevaluated from the experience? Yeah, for me, um, it's actually that I waited too long. And so I had a case where I had an individual who was a very strong individual performer in terms of what they got done, but how they got it done was negatively impacting uh, the rest of the team and really dragging down the overall uh, team performance. And I had a really hard time with the fact that there was this individual who was a high performer that um, I was going to have to uh, let go. Uh, because of the impact on the full organization. And I took too long in order to do that. Um, and hindsight being 2020, uh, seeing the way that the team stepped up, prospered, grew and added more value to the entire organization following that uh, was something that was amazing to see. And it made me as the leader realize that I had waited too long in order to act. Uh, so that's something that looking back on it, I would have changed in that situation. And I've kept in mind uh, going forward. As we bring this to a close, I would definitely want to get a little bit more input from you on advice that you would pass on to the new generation of ISEs that are coming into the workforce. What's the best advice you ever got in regards to charting your career path? The best advice that I've gotten is that uh, life happens on the edge of fear and excitement. And when you're right on that edge where you're almost afraid that you're not going to have the capabilities, the skill set, the knowledge to do this thing, but you're excited about it, you're passionate about it, it's something that you want to achieve, that's really when you're uh, living to the fullest. And that's uh, something that a, a former boss of mine actually shared with me. And it's something that I would pass along to other individuals as well to always try to find that balance between you know, pushing yourself to the edge of fear, but really being excited about taking on that next opportunity. And as you do that, you'll continue to grow in your your skill sets and abilities. And like we mentioned before, you know, being a volunteer in an organization like IISE gives you a place to be able to do that. And if you were to fail, you can fail in a small way um, with something that wouldn't be catastrophic to your overall career, continue to learn and grow and really broaden uh, your capabilities and experience. So that was something that's been uh, invaluable to me. I know you were on a panel back in May at the annual conference in Orlando, in which I think a lot of younger ISEs had been in the room asking the entire panel about various advice and various suggestions on how they chart their career paths. What questions are recent graduates and young professionals younger than you asking you most often? Yeah, I think uh, most of the time they're asking me how to become a leader at a young age. And when they're asking me how to become a leader, they're really asking, you know, how did I move up uh, within the corporation quickly at a young age? You know, and back to 
what we talked about previously, there's a bit of planning that's involved in that, but there's also uh, just opportunities uh, that present themselves. And so I think the best thing that uh, you can do is continue to grow your own leadership capabilities because leaders are looking for that kind of that leadership seed within the individuals that they're mentoring and growing and looking for them to be able to uh, continue to develop and prosper if they recognize that seed in them. And I think that through organizations like IISE, you're able to develop that a lot further and really stand out from other individuals who aren't taking the opportunity to grow themselves uh, above and beyond the workplace. You know, for you, David, being a part of the Institute there, uh, are there certain questions that uh, you're seeing or getting from uh, young industrial and systems engineers in regards to how they can continue to to grow their career, be more involved with the Institute? Every now and again, I get those types of questions uh, specifically because I think that they perceive everybody on staff to be industrial engineers, (laughs) which isn't necessarily true. And I'm certainly not. I've, I've spent a lot of years, obviously, writing about industrial and systems engineering in the magazine. And I've written case study after case study. A lot of the advice uh, that I end up giving is really continue to be a part of IISE, continue seeking out mentors. I certainly point to people I know, including yourself, Carl. I'll point to people like Joan Wagner, people who have been involved in it at all stages of their career and really have um, committed the time and have seen success because they've taken advantage of the opportunities. I do enjoy when I'm on site at the conferences, I really do enjoy talking to students. The thing that I think, and I can speak for the entire staff when I say this, we get so much joy out of the enthusiasm and excitement that not just students, but professionals as well have for the Institute, for being at the conferences, for taking our training. It's really almost overwhelming sometimes because you, you know, when you're working here in the office, we're obviously constantly working on projects that are going to help all of our members. And we, you know, carry these out through various stages and we want to bring them, you know, into the fold as much as we can and and have member input and have uh, ideas flowing from them as well. But when we actually are face to face with members, they're so excited and they're so enthusiastic and they really are trying to get all they can out of the experience of being an IISE. So that's really the re- the reward for staff is really just getting to witness that and getting to witness it live. So I always enjoy getting questions, uh, certainly over social media. Obviously, everyone's seen my face on <laughs> LinkedIn and Facebook and whatnot, more so on Instagram these days, where we we want to get the word out about what the Institute can do for you. So it's really exciting to see a lot of feedback from members who are really appreciative of what they're getting out of their membership. Well, I'd say I'd fall into that uh, same camp as well and really appreciate the the work you're doing. And for those who are listening to us here today, um, would encourage them to reach out to the staff or to the other volunteers within IISE. To your point, David, it really is a network and it's one where Uh, We're all looking to uh, grow and support each other and the profession. Let me ask you one last question. We're talking a lot about leaders and students seeking advice on how to become great leaders. 
isn't there value in not being a leader? Isn't there value in taking the time to sort of work your way up? We're obviously striving for career goals and we certainly want to make our dreams reality. But isn't it important to take time as someone who works at a contributor level as opposed to a leader level? Can't they get an education from that that will help them as they reach that level? Yeah, David, I I definitely agree with that. When I was uh, very early in my career at Pro Planner, um, I had a colleague there who recommended to me to uh, have a notebook or a task in Outlook just somewhere where I wrote down what I liked about the leaders above me and what I didn't like about them. That way, when I found myself in that position, I was able to really exemplify the leader that I wanted to be. And so I would say, even for individuals who um, are in more of an individual contributed role that are listening to this, they can take that uh, same approach or uh, apply a lot of these concepts that we've discussed in terms of reflective leadership or taking the right next step, living on the edge of fear and excitement, uh, they can apply those in the roles that they're in now and reflect on how they would want to lead when they were in that position. And I think by doing that, really individual contributors and leaders um, will be able to take away the lessons that we discussed here today and you know apply them back to their careers. On that note, Carl, I greatly appreciate your time. I certainly hope that our listeners, particularly our students and young professionals, got a lot out of this. I greatly appreciate you taking this time to share your experience with us. Oh, thanks, David. I appreciate it as well and look forward to continuing the collaboration. This has been an episode of Problem Solved, the IISE podcast. If you like what you've heard, then please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. If you're an IISE member, you can participate in discussions about this and other episodes at connect.iise.org. If you're not a member yet, then you can learn all about the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers at our website, iise.org. Thanks for listening to our show.